We find ourselves in Romans 12, right? And we're in a list of a string of commands starting in verse 9 after a, a list of spiritual gifts and then the introduction that leads up to it in 12, uh, 1 to 3. And we're in this list of commands. And last week, John preached on the first half of verse 9, uh, first half of verse 10, excuse me, about being devoted to one another in brotherly love. And so we're going to pick up the second half of that and talking about this, give preference to one another in honor. That's Romans 12, 10, B. We can't carve it up any smaller than that. I don't think you want to, but 12, 10, B is give preference to one another in honor. If you have ESV, actually the NES side note or marginal note says it could be outdo one another in showing honor, all right? But honor is the, the theme here. And, um, you know, we don't live in a strongly honor-shame type culture, like Eastern cultures are more like that, Middle Eastern, pretty much everywhere. No, um, we don't live in a strongly honor-shame culture, but you know that there are traces of honor and shame, particularly we're going to focus on honor in our culture. Um, on Memorial and Veterans Days, what do we do? Like, what's the programming? What's, like, news stories? You know, the feed that you get on your news feed at... We honor the military. We honor our veterans. We honor the people in, arms, uh, in the armed, um, armed services. Uh, when you graduated from school, some of you graduated with honors. You received honors for your hard work. Some of you didn't, but that's okay. You still graduated. Uh, you, got the, you got the diploma. That's an honor. All right. Um, award ceremonies. Even like uh, they have award ceremonies in music, entertainment, right, in the sports or in the arts, you know, they give out Nobel Prizes in literature, or Nobel Prizes in chemistry. And you recognize, or those groups, those bodies of people are recognizing those whose work, those whose, even like Lifetime Achievement Awards, right, those whose lives and their body of work should be esteemed, it should be respected and recognized. Um, you even hear about things like honoring the memory of the dead, right? We should keep that memory, uh, the memory of the dead alive and what they went through, what they suffered. And so people build like museums based on certain historical incidents. Like there's a Holocaust museum in Washington, D.C. to honor the memory of the dead so that we would not forget what happened during World War II. Now, in all of those cases that I just mentioned, and even in your own lives, in smaller ways, right? Honor, you usually reserve it for what? For, for somebody or for something that is noble, typically, right? Typically, or respectable. You, you don't just like put a statue up for somebody or a pla give out a plaque to someone or, or, or you know, put a, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame because they weren't an actor. Like that wouldn't make any sense. You don't just give it out. But in the church, what we learn, even from last week, right, it's actually the other way. It's the other way. It's completely the opposite. By being just in the same family, spiritual family, we honor one another. We're called to that. And not for any achievement, right? Not, not for like something that that other person did something noble, therefore we're going to honor you. Not for that at all, but simply because that's what the church is all about, actually. It's an honor-giving, preferring one another type of society. Why? Well, as we learned last week and look at the top of verse 9, it's because that's what love is all about. And the love of Christ in our hearts constrains us. It presses us out into loving one another. That's, that's the way it works. That's how our new hearts are wired. We're built that way. Okay, we're built differently. Love doesn't seek honor for the self, right? Love doesn't seek its own way. What does it do? Love seeks to honor other people. It seeks actually to give way. Right? It seeks to give my way away, if I could put it that way. And to see that love-honor connection, Paul just plainly gives it to us here, especially with verse 10. We're not saying all of these commands are intricately and logically tied together, but it sure looks like, and most commentators would take it this way, that verse 10 first half and second half are tied together, that when you are devoted to one another in brotherly love, which seems like the umbrella command, hey, guess what? One thing that you will do is you will give preference to one another in honor. You'll give preference to one another in honor. 
And so in this series of commands, we are looking at what does a life look like that's transformed by the gospel? The mercies of God have been showered upon us. We are to present our bodies, Romans 12:1, a living and holy sacrifice. That's our service of worship to God. We're not to be conformed to this world and its pattern of thinking. We're to be transformed in the, by the renewing of our minds with the word of God so that we may prove what the will of God is, right? All that takes place and out comes this. We give preference to one another in honor. That's what Paul is saying, okay? And so we want to look at and unpack what this means. What does it mean to actually honor one another? Because we don't usually talk in those terms. We, we think about that when it's like for lofty things. But Paul says this is actually just a normal course of life in the church. So point number one, the principle of honor, okay? The principle of honor. And letter A here, if you're taking notes, principle of honor, uh, it's a high call, a high call. What is Paul saying here in that little phrase, give preference to one another in honor? Well, to honor someone, if you think about it, to honor anything, like I said at the beginning, it's to treat that thing or that, in this case, that person as valuable. You put a high price tag on that person. They're, they're precious to you, right? And so essentially what Paul is saying is, hey, esteem one another above yourself. Esteem that person above yourself. Recognize them and respect them above yourself, ahead of yourself. Because when someone is precious to us, and some of us just, you know, you have, some of you have just had babies, I don't even have to say it, right? Precious. <laughs> you feel it. You don't even, do you have to think about that? You, oh, I wonder if this child of mine that came out of the womb, precious or not? No, you, you don't, no one has to like goad you into thinking that. It's automatic reflex as a father, as a mother. And when someone is precious to you, what happens? It's easy to decrease, as John the Baptist said, what? So that that one who is precious might increase. We easily give up our rights, don't we? When that person is valuable to us, we don't think twice about deferring. We don't think twice about giving way. And in that way, brotherly love, if we really love one another in the body of Christ, it will truly honor one another in that way. Now, again, we don't use that term a lot, uh, especially in our culture. Um, We've kind of lost touch with that. Some of us, a little older, maybe back then, uh, more honor, at least on, on the surface of the culture. Not so much right now, okay? Like honor the aged, right? Honor those with gray hair. The Bible talks about that. And the Bible does have a lot to say about honor, not just with the aged and the elderly, but it also talks about, look over just at Romans 13, 7, maybe that same page or the next page on your Bible. And Paul says, render to all what is due them, okay? Tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. And what's the context of Romans 13? The context is the government, and the context is submission to the government. And one of the ways that citizens give preference, Christian citizens, how we all need to think is we give preference to the government in honor by paying our taxes and submitting to the customs of the land, the laws of the land, right? Exodus 20:12. What's one of the Ten Commandments? We give preference to our parents by honoring them. Ephesians 6 talks about children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's how children honor their parents. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, we are to give preference to our wives by showing her honor, Peter says, as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Meaning, you are not to treat her as an inferior or as an underling. And look over once more to 1 Peter not once more, but look at 1 Peter. I'll just turn there real quickly. 1 Peter 2, 16 to 17. Okay? These are not the only verses. It's not an exhaustive survey of it, but you get the idea here. You got government, you have parents, you have in the marriage, husbands towards wives, and then look at 1 Peter 2, 16 and 17. Peter says that we are to act as free men. Well, Christ has freed us from legalism, right? Okay. But he says this, don't use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. How do you do that? 
Well, he gives one example, or four examples, and he says this in verse 17. This is how. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Everybody, honor everybody. Love one another in the body of Christ. Fear God, Proverbs 1-7, the beginning of wisdom. Honor the king. Honor, honor, love, fear. Right? A little honor sandwich going on there. Right? Honor all people, honor the king. We are to use the freedom that Jesus has given us to honor everybody, including and Peter. Who is he writing to? He's writing to an audience that's persecuted and it's going to get persecuted more under the reign of someone who wasn't that great, Nero. But he says, honor the king there. Now think about this, okay? People we admire for some talent or skill, they demand respect and honor, right? When you watch amazing athletes at the top of their game, you know, you pull up a YouTube clip of like Lionel, uh, Lionel Messi with a soccer ball and he's weaving in and out of all these defenders and it doesn't look real because he's doing it at hyper speed and you can't even take a soccer ball and go down a straight line for 10 feet. And he's going in and out of all these people and you watch like people like Michael Jordan, you people like Mike Trout hitting a baseball and you're just in awe. Like, how can they do that? How do, how do they even, like, how? And you respect that. You, you give it honor and you respect great artworks and you respect like people doing great feats of physical achievement, like climbing mountains without rope. And you respect and you honor scientific engineering. And you honor, of course, noble deeds like those, like first responders who would sacrifice themselves to save a complete stranger. But in 1 Peter 2.17, Peter doesn't say honor good people. Peter doesn't say honor righteous kings. Peter says it very broadly. Honor all people. And then he says love the brotherhood. He makes a distinction between the church and the world, but he doesn't say just honor the people who you think deserve it. And in Romans 12, 10, you can go back there, what does Paul not say? Just like Peter, Paul doesn't say, you know what? When they do something honorable, when they're acting in a noble way, then by all means respect them. He doesn't say that at all. He says, give preference to one another in honor. To any, in this context, it's to any other believer. Peter's context, he says, honor all people. Right? But here in the church, Paul says, as the community of Christ, the body of Christ, bought with the blood of Christ, honor any other believer. Every believer deserves the other believer's honor. Why? Because ultimately, every believer that you and I encounter is not only made in the image of God, that's the given, but even more precious than that is they are temples of the Holy Spirit. Every believer that you and I encounter, whether here Across the world, doesn't matter how far away they are, where they're at, they're worshiping Christ. They are temples of the Holy Spirit. They are God's beloved children. They have been bought with the precious, the honorable, the valuable blood of Jesus Christ. And so, in love, we are obligated to fulfill this command. We must honor one another in the church, regardless of whether or not that believer did anything for you or not. It doesn't matter. But even though I think when you look at Romans 12 and any of these commands and you just get a brief explanation of it, or even if you don't have the explanation, you know what it's saying. It's fairly simple, but there's a huge problem. And that's point B. You have a high call, but then you have a very strong pull. And the problem with Romans what does it mean to honor, give preference? I need to look it up in the Greek dictionary. You can. <laughs> it's not the word definitions. The problem is not the other person. The problem is, you know, it's a hard season of life. I'm having a, it's, it's hard to love. It's not that. The great problem of Romans 12, 10b is who it's addressed to. And who is it addressed to? Me. Us. The problem with this verse is not the verse. <laughs> the problem with the verse is me. Me. It's me. It's my relentlessly self-honoring heart. It's my unbending, self-glorifying bent. Romans 12, 3. Just look up there. What does it say? Don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. Who's responsible for all of this? It's God. It's His grace. Who gifted believers? It's called the gift. God gave it to us. 
Who put us in the body of Christ? God did. Who showed us mercy? God did. Who saved us? God did. But Paul has to point that out and point out lots of other commands about one anothering. Why? Because we tend to think highly of ourselves. We tend to look out for number one. We tend to heap honor for ourselves. We crave it. And there is no greater gravitational pull like the planet self. We're just grabbing everyone and making them all orbit around us and forcing every other planet around us, everybody in our family, everybody in our little sphere of influences, influence to do what? To bow to my needs. You know, when, um, you, guys, you guys know this story, some of you, right? When Copernicus, right, when he laid out the heliocentric, the sun is at the center of our solar system, when he laid out that model, you know, he didn't publish his work until the year that he died. I don't think he knew he was going to die, but he wanted to publish it towards the end of his life. And, you know, one of the main reasons was because he was challenging a long-held belief that people actually supported from the Bible, or they tried to. Uh, and in fact, when the work was published, both Protestants and Catholics united to criticize his work. And the Catholic Church actually placed his book that only like specialized people could have access to it. They put it on the index of forbidden books 70 years after it was initially published. Okay? Why? Because Copernicus dared to challenge a key pillar of Western thought that everything revolves around the earth, which had become like a Christianized thought at, by that time. And it was held like that for a long time. Everything revolves around the earth. The thing is, when we get face-to-face -face with Romans 12, 10b and the implications of that, it does rub us the wrong way, if we're honest. And when we try to practice it, and when we try to think like this, think this attitude, have this thought in mind, it does chafe, you know, it does like, it does go against us because our self is supreme and we can have an egocentric view of our lives and we don't want to do what it says. You know, but the gospel, it brings sobriety because it makes me realize I am not the center and everybody doesn't and shouldn't orbit around me. Life is not about me. The church is not about me and my needs. It's actually all about Jesus in me reaching out to others to esteem them very highly above myself <clears throat> in all sorts of ways. But we get, we lose our way, don't we? We lose our way because we crave honor. Now turn with me to Philippians 2, 3 to 4, and we're going to see, you get the high call of what it means to honor, but then that strong pull of the flesh. Um, John read this for us during our call to worship, and Interestingly enough, this is a high Christology text, right? It says glorious things about Jesus, but the actual like, frame of this passage is about unity. To have unity in the church, to preserve it, to promote it, we have to have this kind of attitude, the attitude that Christ had in humbling himself and deferring to who? To us. So if you look at Philippians 2, uh, verse 3 and 4, Paul writes this to them. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard. And that's a similar word to the give preference there. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And then he expounds on this attitude that Christ Jesus had that modeled that, and he says this is how he modeled it. Selfish, selfishness there in verse 3 means selfishly ambitious. It has ties to fighting with other people because you want something badly and you can't get it. Empty conceit, that's a really neat word. It actually means empty glory. And it's, the idea is that I have nothing to glory in, yet I glory in it anyway. I glory in myself. Even though Everything that I have, Paul says, everything that I have, everything that I am is what? It's by God's grace. I am what I am by grace and grace alone. He says, I labored harder than all the others, but not me, the grace of God in me. And yet, and yet, in our worst moments, we are filled with this hot air, aren't we? Of all these like empty self-boasts, we crave honor for ourselves. And so what do we do? Verse 4 tells us what we do when we think that way. We naturally then start looking out for our own personal interests. 
scoping out what would be for my comfort, my pleasure, my happiness, what's going to help me, how can I benefit from this, whether it's a conversation, whether it's a work that you have to do, you know, something with your hands, whatever it is, we are eager, aren't we? We're eager to look out for number one. And I think we all know that. I know that, the pull of my own self. And I, and I know, and I think we all know that, we don't even know the half of it, how bad it can actually get until someone else graciously <laughs> kind of hits us upside the head and shows us, oh man, that's how I'm living, that's how I'm thinking. But as believers, we, we understand that, we know that, we hate it, but it's there, it's in our flesh. And so this is a high call. The problem is there's a strong pull to crave and go after honor, this innate pride in our hearts. And so to help us look beyond ourselves, let's consider for a moment then point number two, the practice of honor. Okay, we're bad. <laughs> we want to be better. Jesus was better. Like, what does this kind of look like then? Because you talked about award shows, you talked about Lionel Messi, but just in the church, what does that look like? One word of caution here. We have to be careful because we could say, you know what, oh man, I'm just a self-honoring jerk, I'm awful, I'm proud, and then you think, we can think this way, oh, maybe he's saying that to honor others, I have to dishonor myself. I should just heap scorn and shame upon myself and just make myself inferior to others and just say, you know what, I'm the worst, I'm terrible, I'm trash, I have no gifts, I'm not useful to Jesus or others, I have nothing to offer, I might as well just, you know, be thrown into the broom closet and locked up. You have to be careful because that's not what Paul says, right? Paul does not say that. When we honor somebody, it has to be genuine. It has to be from the heart. We can't just give, you know, just do lip service. It can't be fake. And we don't have to trash ourselves to obey this, even though we know the sinfulness of our hearts, our pride. Yes, you know that. We know that. But we're still to practice honor from the heart, a heart of love. So what does that look like? Well, there's two categories here. Letter A is material honor, and then we're going to talk about relational honor. Material honor. By material, material honor, I mean exactly what that word means, with stuff and with money in certain cases. In the church, we honor with our services and goods those in need. Like there's a deacon's fund in the church. We want to care for those in our body who are hurting or those whom we know. We want to look out for them. Galatians 6.10 talks about that, doing good to the household of the faith. Doing good there means tangible good things, good works. James says that's an expression of faith. If you say you have faith in Christ, your brother comes to you and they're cold and they're hungry and you say be warm and filled and you close the door on them, it doesn't help. But not only that, it says it puts your faith into question. There's widows and orphans in their distress. Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.3, hey, eligible widows, put them on the church list and he says honor them. He's talking about financially. Care for them. Care for them. They're dear sisters in Christ. They've served their families. They've served their church well. And they're older ladies. Care for them. Widows and orphans who are hurting, care for them in the body of Christ. And to honor them in this way means that our hearts have to be opened up instead of closed. 1 John 3.17 Open, because we see their needs as more important, ahead of our own. And the fact is, if you think about it, with money and, you know, it can get very sensitive, right? Very controversial and like something tangible like that. And if it's a lot and you, and you feel like, well, this is a big thing here, we have to be careful because before even giving that away, we have to not worship our security and our comfort in our own lives so that when the time comes and God provides an opportunity, you know what? I can part with my time. I can part with my energy. And yes, I can part with my things and my money to truly help this brother or sister <clears throat> in need. And we, we can't worship that. We can't make the things of this earth our treasure. And as we do that, and as we treasure more Christ and the things of Christ, that does open up our hearts. That makes us more compassionate, more generous, more um, willing to let things go, more give preference to others before ourselves. And the, to the degree, then, that we don't give preference to our own needs, we can give preference to others in honor by being generous and serving them above ourselves. So that's one category, okay? Material honor. Material honor. 
But letter B, and I think this is where, <laughs> you know, they always say put your money where your mouth is, and that's true too, but I think this is more complicated, complex, more difficult, more heart-searching, and that's the relational honor that we are um, called to give to one another, okay? The relational honor. Because not everyone is always in need all the time, financially, materially. But this other honor, it's all the time. It's all the time, okay? And not because they have a need, but because that's the obligation, all right? So what are some ways we can give preference to one another in honor in the body of Christ? Relationally, number one, we'll just have a list here, okay? And I'm going to just run through some questions. Let's just examine our hearts. Number one, by seeking peace, not victory, by seeking peace, not victory. Think about this with, in the context of our own marriages. Think about this in our own families. Think about this in the body of Christ, okay? Seeking peace, not victory. Romans 12, 18 says, seek peace so far as it what? As it depends on you, okay? Do your utmost to seek peace, make peace, promote peace, all right? And so my question is this to all of us. This is not, oh, we're just a anti-peace church, warring church. Obviously not, <laughs> We want to know, though, Lord, like, open up our hearts. What's going on in here? So let me ask you this. Do we, do any of us have lots of pet issues and hobby horses that we will just not let go of? And do we fight over them? And if someone is not on our side, we judge others harshly. Are we overly opinionated and strong-willed to the detriment of love? Do we have to be right? Do we have to win at all costs? Do we promote and preserve peace instead? Are we defensive, self-justifying? Can we readily admit weakness, mistakes, sins? Or does it take a lot to pry that out of us? A lot of open wounds <laughs> from friends, open rebuke, right? A lot of wounding, a lot of bashing open of our heads because hey, I'm so hard-hearted, I'm so stubborn, I'm so set in my ways, I'm so right, I can't be wrong. Are we like that? Or are we more pliable? Do we quickly ask for forgiveness when we have sinned against someone? And do we immediately grant it when sinned against? A related principle under this one is that we are flexible on non-biblical issues. We're flexible. That's a peacemaking heart. Or... Am I like this? Am I my, my way or the highway with preferential issues? Or can we easily be appealed to? I'm not saying you can't have convictions, right? That's a wholly different issue. Can we have discussions, however, without getting heated? More broadly speaking, do I yield to the preferences of others or do I always have to have my thoughts, my input, and my plans put forward? Like if we don't go to the restaurant that I pick, I'm not going. Or... If we don't go to the restaurant that I pick, I'll go, but I won't like it, <laughs> okay? But then this is what's going to happen. You go, and then you feel bad, and so you're like, all right, fine, I'm here, I should pay for it. That's not honor. That's being selfish. <laughs> That's not love. Do we participate or not begrudge, or, you know, do we not participate or participate begrudgingly because, hey, you know what, my desire and my plan, you didn't follow them. And you always get your way, and I never get mine, if that kind of language comes out of us. The Bible says we have to seek peace. It's not about winning. And that's how we give preference to one another in honor. Number two, another way to do that is, uh, it's related, they're all related, but speaking wisely and listening well. Speaking wisely and listening well. James 1.19, be what? Slow to speak. What did they say? Two ears, one mouth? Okay. Slow to speak, quick to listen, which, by the way, curbs our anger. Or, like a fool, do we love revealing our own thoughts, Proverbs 18, 2. You know, when there are many words, Proverbs says, you're probably going to sin. So do we love the sound of our own voice? Or for those of us who are quieter, do we love the sound of our own inner voice? All right. Do we think highly of our own opinions and thoughts, even on matters that we know little about? Have you ever gotten into a discussion and a debate and you know you don't know enough about this, but you're like, I'm going to win this fight no matter what. I'm like, what are you talking about? You have no idea, but you just have to win. You just have to be right and you just have to have your say. And so Proverbs 29, 20 cautions us with being hasty with our words. And Proverbs 12, 18 cautions us about being rash with our words. 
just reckless. I'm just going to say whatever, whenever, however, because I'm in love with my own opinions. That's honoring the self, is it not? Or what about this? Proverbs 18.13, we speak before we know the situation or the person. Proverbs says that's folly and shame to you. It's going to come back to bite you if you make a judgment or give an opinion when it wasn't asked for or before you even found out what the situation was about because we, in our selfishness and pride, what do we do? We like to presume and assume things and ascribe false motives to people. Naturally, in our flesh, we can tend to do that. But the humble person, it doesn't mean they're silent, although Proverbs does, says, does say if you stay silent, people will think you're wiser. But that's, that's just saying like, be tempered in your words, right? Self-controlled. That's how you can give honor to someone else. Why? Because you want to listen to them. And why do we listen to someone? Have you ever found it hard to listen to someone? Some of us are better at this than others. I confess, you know, it could be sometimes a challenge for me to listen to the full story. Like my wife will say, you know, she want to say something. She'll say, this is a dream I had or a thought and then, or a story. And she will tell you this. I want to just get to the punchline. Get to the climax of the story. What happened? That's it? You know, and then that's not good. That's sinful. That's selfish. I'm not listening to her. I'm not caring about her. We can do that to each other, right? Just get to the point. Hurry up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if we're actually interested in that person, we actually love that person, what will we do? We will say, I'm going to bend my ear towards you and I will listen to you. I will listen to you. And it's not fake. I will genuinely want to listen to you. But the self-honoring person, you know what we do? We are listening to do what? Just to share our thoughts. I've already had, a, I've had this all digested already. I've got my treatises. All right, all right, hurry up. Let's go. Okay, here, boom. And I just unload and data dump on that person. That is what we are, if we're honest with ourselves. But the humble person, you know what they say? A humble person says, this is hard. <laughs> the humble person says, my motives are very often a mixed bag. I know how selfish I am. I know how easily I love to honor myself. I know how easily I just want to spew my thoughts. Lord, forgive me and help me. And their speech is tempered. It's ruled. It's controlled. And so that's one way. Thirdly, we can give preference to one another in honor in the body of Christ by not praising ourselves Instead, what? Praising God's grace in each other. Praising God's grace in each other. Proverbs 27.2. This is a great one. Let another's mouth praise you and not your own. I probably, I don't think most of us are going around like praising ourselves like that explicitly. I'm a great guy. I'm such a wonderful dad. I'm a wonderful human being. I, I am just the greatest citizen on planet Earth. I don't think most of us go around saying that. Sometimes we might think that way in our worst moments. But there are other ways, isn't there, that we can draw subtly in our conversation, what we talk about, how we slip things in when other people are talking, especially, where we draw attention to our gifts, our talents, our successes. And we, we can make ourselves the hero of every story where it all kind of comes back to me. And how easy is it to go on and on about what I've done, to parade the portfolio of our lives as workers, as husbands, as wives, as parents, as cooks, as builders, as whatever, and social media has, does not help that temptation to boost ourselves. And we can do this with our family as well. Have you ever noticed this where we can do like, a, my child is so, he's such a, you know, so gifted, so smart, so like this. I'm not saying it's wrong to point things out, but just follow me on this one. We could do that with our wives, we could do that with our husbands. And it's actually not about their character. It's just about parading their achievements in front of other people in comparison to them. Yes, it's good to point out other successes. But oftentimes, it's coming from a heart that wants others to notice me. Notice my family. I'm living vicariously through my children. Notice them so that it notices me. Honor them so that it honors me. You know, we can also do this. We can also praise ourselves in the form of complaining. In the form of complaining. Self-righteous complaining. I work so hard. They don't. You, see, you should have seen what kind of setup I did at the church. No one said anything. No one else helped. It was just me and this other guy. And then even that other guy left. You know? 
And it was all me. Oh, woe is me. You know, it's like, you lifted a chair. All right, I have the hardest, no, I'm just kidding. I have the hardest, most thankless job, you know, and, and especially sometimes you got like lots of little ones running around and you're trying to take care of them, change diapers, go to the bathroom, do this, do that. You don't have a moment to yourself. No one sees it. No one gives you credit. You get, you know, passed over, if you will, whether it's at work or at home or in the family or with your friends or, and you're the only one putting in, how about this, the group project. You're the only one and everybody else has just abandoned you because you're the smartest. And that turns into what? Gossip, slander, bitterness, and malice. But think about Paul. In 1 Corinthians, he's dealing with the hardest church to shepherd of all time. And what does he do? From the very beginning, you know what he does? He affirms God's grace in their life. He says, I see evidences of Christ in you. I am going to rebuke you, but let me start off with this. And he does that all the time in his letters. He celebrates the Thessalonians and the Philippians. He does. He ennobles them. And so we should celebrate the work of God in other people. We should affirm his grace in gifting and growing other people. We should throw light off of ourselves and onto what? Others for their efforts, for their talents and their gifts and their spiritual successes in Christ. Hey, when they're rejoicing about a thing that happened in the workplace or just in the world, what should we do? We should rejoice with them. And when they're mourning, we should mourn with them from the heart. And this includes, by the way, 1 Corinthians 12, 23 and 24, honoring those in the church who are gifted in different ways. Paul says there, like, you know what? You should, you should honor them. Honor the ones that are behind the scenes. Honor the ones that are not apostles and evangelists and church planters. Honor them. Why? He says, because God does that already. Oops. <laughs> and we shouldn't be envious of how God has blessed, it, blessed, gifted, and used others for his glory or overlook others because we are so high and others are so low. And if we're not careful, we're going to be like Diotrephes who always wants to put himself first. We should rejoice that God is being glorified because our highest joy is seeing just that. Hey, God, you, your fame is put on display. That's what makes me happy. And so we need to grow in acknowledging evidences of God's grace in others and not just being quick to point out sins and weaknesses. Yes, that's a part of the Christian fe fellowship, but so much emphasis on encouraging and building one another up. Do we do that? And fourth, we give preference and honor last by not seeking to be somebody, but seeking the good of others. You're a somebody to me. That's the idea. I'm, I'm just a nobody. And that's not false modesty. In light of the, how I know my own sins, I really am a nobody saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only reason I can do anything good. Christ in me, but you, I want you to be a somebody in Christ. And that's not cheesy. I'm saying I want you to be honored. I see what God is doing in your life. Proverbs 25, 27 says, it's not good to eat much honey, nor is it glory to search out one's own glory. Get stuffed with all that honey, you feel sick. And that's what keeping glory and honor for yourself does. In Luke 20, 46 to 47, you know, Jesus tells the people, hey, beware of the scribes. They love honor. They love to get respectful greetings, chief seats. You know when they have a party? Guess what the, guess what the scribes and Pharisees always do? They take the places of honor. Everybody, look at me, right? I have the long flowing robe. I make the longest prayers for appearance's sake. Jesus says, these will receive greater condemnation. Why? Greater condemnation because they were seeking to be a somebody in the things of God, like a Diotrephes, and like others who, you know, we get some record of that in the New Testament. Seeking to be somebody, especially guys, we're talking about in Romans 12, the body of Christ, so dangerous. It is such a temptation. Here's a temptation because maybe you go out into the world and you have a quote unquote thankless job. It could be true. And in the world, nobody notices you, you're just a number. You're just, you're just a guy or a gal. But then you come to church and you're gifted. And what, what starts to happen? You get recognized. And that's, and that's rightly so. You get used. You're serving. And people notice you. People start to say things. And you hear the whispers. Pastors, we know this all too well. And it's a deep, insidious evil in our hearts. You hear it. And you hear too much of it. And not only do you hear it, what starts to happen is like, I can believe it. I can believe that press. Not that that person is saying it falsely. They're genuinely encouraged and they want to encourage you. But then instead of taking that blessing and thanking God, what happens? 
It starts to poison our hearts because of my innate pride and craving for honor. There's nothing worse that corrupts the heart and the church than spiritual pride. But we can also seek honor for ourselves and seek to be somebody in the, in the home. Husbands, if we're not careful, we want our wives to honor us. You know, we might not say that. I don't know if anyone, hey, honor me, wife. You, don't, you might not say it that way, but you might be craving it and showing that in subtle ways by being cold, indifferent, aloof, or just by being angry outrightly. Or wives craving that from their husbands, recognition and just some, uh, some respect because he's too absorbed in work or in other things. Parents seeking it from their children so that you, know, you, don't, you want them to love you and you don't want to step on their toes. Or even children seeking it from their parents. Among peers and friends, how about that? Seeking recognition, respect in the workplace. Seeking to stand out above others. It's good. Nothing wrong with working hard, being successful, being applauded at work, getting recognition at work. Absolutely nothing wrong. Christians should be the best workers, right? But in your heart of hearts, the why. Is it eye service for people? Or is it because Christ is my master and I want to honor him? Jeremiah 45, verse 5 says, this is the King James. And seekest thou great things for thyself? What does he say? Seek them not. <laughs> we are not that important. Instead, by God's grace, we should have the spirit of Timothy. Timothy, who in Philippians 2, 20 to 21, Paul says of him this. I mean, this is an amazing testimony. Paul says, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. That's why I'm sending him to you. He's the best. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Having genuine concern for others' spiritual well-being, seeking the good of them, equals seeking the interests of Christ. Why? Because Christ's interests are always about our spiritual well-being, our good in Him. And so this is a spirit that's sensitive to what others need. That's what a humble spirit is. They, they look at the church and they, they want to give encouragement. Maybe that person needs encouragement. What does that person need? Do they need hope? Do they need some kind of com comfort? Do they need to be stirred up to love and good deeds? Do they need admonition in that moment or correction? Sometimes that's true, right? Do they need more patience from me? Do they need gentleness from me? Do they need forgiveness? Do they need a little steering, instruction, and help because they just don't know? What do they truly need? And how can I, as the Lord sees fit, I'm not just meddling in everyone's lives, as the Lord sees fit, how can I supply that? How can I supply that? And that requires what Philippians 2.3 says, great humility of mind, lowliness of mind. And to really think and live this way then, this is point number three, how do we do it? The power to honor. The power to honor. It's going to be very simple, but it's very, very hard to practice because of ego, of self. And letter A here, first things first, very quickly, we must hate this selfishness in us. It doesn't mean hate yourself, okay? Just, we have to be careful about that, like I already said, but we must hate this sin. We must hate this sin in us. We must see it for what it is, that it's not a respectable sin or something to just gloss over, but that the self-honor that we crave is robbing God of his glory and killing the love that should happen in the fellowship. And it's wrong. It's wrong to be a me first person. And I must repent of it before God. I must confess that as sin. I have an idol of myself, Lord. And it shows up in these specific ways. Please forgive me and please help me to turn away from it. And to turn to Christ. And to turn to others in love, please. And we need to see it like that. And respond to it like that. Not... I'm not saying call down condemnation upon yourself. If you're a believer, you must not do that because that's all been finished on the cross. Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation, right? For those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, but you must, we must see it as an offense. Man, it's a wicked thing if you think about it. It's not just spiritual pride, but how could I do that to my wife? How could I do that to my brother in Christ? I mean, he loves me, she loves me, they're so kind and all I'm trying to do is extract glory from them. I'm just flattering them. I'm giving them false praise. You know, I, I'm just like pretending to go along. I'm playing a game. Why? Because I, I want to be lifted up so much. Man, that is awful. And I have to know that in my heart. It has to start here, right? But then that's not enough. 
can't just hate your sin. How, what, what, what's going to then finally drive us to honor one another from the heart? And that's letter B. Be humbled by the honoring love of Christ. Be humbled by the honoring love of Christ. That's where Philippians 2 comes into play. God deserves all the honor from us, doesn't he? Inherently. From everything that we are and we have and we do. And yet, the Bible says that all we do is dishonor him. That is the natural inclination of man. Just dishonor him all the time. We think, Romans 1.25, that we don't have to acknowledge him and we don't have to give him thanks. Right? So what does God do? What's God's response to that? You know what God does? Philippians 2 says this. He sends his son into the world. Think about how much honor Jesus has. Think about how honorable, precious, gloriously valuable Christ is to the Father's heart. And he just says, hey, go. And Jesus says, I will. And Christ comes to the earth and he puts on the form of a bondservant, it says in Philippians. And he puts on the likeness of sinful flesh and he chooses, I mean, think about this. He chooses the path of dishonor in humble submission to his Father. He is doubted, he is vilified, he is mocked, he is beaten, and then he is dishonored in the most shameful, cruel way possible, being crucified without cause. Why? So that the truly dishonorable right here in this room could have his honor, his status, his position before the Father now and forever. That's why. We are credited with Christ's perfect righteousness, though we are unrighteous through and through. We are called and given the position of kings and priests of God, though we are absolute nobodies who have no claim to any high position before God. We are now brothers and sisters of Christ, co-heirs with Christ, though our native father is who? It's the devil. All because of this, Jesus gave preference to his father by honoring him and his plan of salvation all the way through. And Jesus gave preference to us by obeying even unto death on a cross. And you think, how could the sinless son of God consider us more important than himself? How could he look out for my interests? And yet, the simple answer is this, he did. He did. He loved us that much. And look, if you're sitting here and you're hearing this, and you don't know Christ and you know that to be the case, you're not saved, you don't know Jesus in your heart, he's not your Lord and Savior, look, the, the fact is, you are robbing him of his glory. You are. We did, right? And I'm not saying that's because Christians are better than you. Not at all. And what will await you is that paid back in full and then some. Ultimate dishonor and shame await you in condemnation and hell forever and ever. And it's rightly deserved. And all that you lived for, all that you worked for and built up and sought after will be destroyed. It will. You can't take it with you because you have robbed God of his due preference in your life. And so you will face God's judgment because you have dishonored him with your life. And there's nothing any human being can do about it. Nothing. But here's the catch, right? You can be honest with him starting today. You can be honest with him about your pride. You can be honest with him about your sinful, self-glorying heart. He knows all of it already anyway, right? He knows it all. And you can, I promise you this, you can. You can go to Jesus Christ. And you can find in him a savior, a deliverer from all of those sins. You go to him believing he paid for my dishonoring of God with his infinite, precious life. And when I believe that, when I do that, that's in my heart, I will find what? Lavish mercy and forgiveness. And not only that, lavish honor and the riches of Christ. I become a child of God, co-heirs with Christ. And then and only then will you be right with God. You will be transformed by Christ from dishonoring him to honoring him as he deserves. And in that, you will find your purpose in life and your truest joy. You won't have to look for honor. You won't have to crave for honor because you have Jesus. <laughs> That's all you need. The precious value of Christ and all of his fullness, boom, yours forever. 
Not one little tiny blessing or riches carved out of that. Never, never, ever, ever again. All of Christ now for you because of what Jesus has done for sinners like us. In other words, what's going to happen is this. Because of what Christ did, he's going to make us more and more like him. Humble, selfless, and joyfully giving preference to one another in honor. That is the Christian gospel. It's amazing, isn't it? That's the Christian gospel. That's it. Jesus died for those who hated him. The end. (laughs) And you can have life and freedom and joy in believing in him and in knowing him as your personal Lord and Savior. Let the heart of Christ, guys, sink into, into yours. The only way that we can truly love one another, honor one another, give preference to one another, is not by just doing it on the outside, but being empowered by a higher power, a force in us, which is Christ in us. And he alone melts the heart of stone and turns it alive with love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love of Christ that was so deferential, so selfless, so humble, so condescending, so giving of himself in love to honor those who absolutely deserve the opposite. Father, we thank you that in Christ there is no condemnation, but now we are made co-heirs with Christ. We are your children. We have been bought with the precious blood of the Savior, and you have... have taken us out of sin and death and brought us into yourself and into your family. And we look forward to the fact that you will exalt us one day because of Christ and because of Christ alone. And so help us, Lord, as we think about him, as we dwell on him, as we let Christ and his word dwell in us richly, may that transform our hearts, not to crave honor for ourselves, but be all the more joyful and willing to give it away uh, and to give preference to one another in love. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.